Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good evening, and welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. I'm Travis Dow. And I'm Pete Coleman from the Bohemian podcast. And today, well, actually, hold on, wait a minute. Before we talk about what we're going to talk about, we, we haven't actually done a show in a little while. So a couple, a couple of announcements here. Um, first of all, you may have noticed an ad when you clicked on this link, or when you, when you listened to this episode. And if you hate that, we're, we do apologize. <laughs> we're sorry. We don't want you to hate the show. Um, we don't have control over what goes on. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. First of all, that. And second, no, but but it, it does really help out. I mean, books have books have now, I can safely say, have added up to a significant expense in my life. And uh, this kind of helps cover that. Overall, just, just to clarify, even with ad money, uh, Pete and I are operating at a loss. So, you know, we offer a free show. Uh, I just, you know, I feel like we should defend ourselves in case someone gets mad, but they're 30 second ads. I hope you guys don't uh, mind them too much. Um, The other thing is that we are a part of the Agora podcast network, which um, helps us organize all these things. But if you get, if you get done with all of our episodes, you know, there's the history of Germany, Bohemian, uh, the secret cabinet, which um, is a pretty new show that just came out this last year. I translate it from German. Um, which is, yeah, I can't say too much about it on this show, but it's, it's really great. It's, it's kind of naughty history, sort of. And, um, but if you get done with that, we have, you can also take our YouTube channel, right? I mean, so we've, we've got some things that we're doing that you can take a look at that, um, can kind of lengthen out your experience. Yeah, that's, that's a good point because there's about, about to be a lot more stuff on the YouTube channel. If you've already seen everything that's there. Um, but there's, yeah, there's a couple new things. The, the 70th anniversary of Pilsen, we finally got that, some of that footage, um, wrapping up editing on that and, and getting that out and a couple other really cool videos. Yeah. The YouTube channel. And then, um, right after this episode, actually, I'm going to post, um, and then kind of what we're doing anyways in, in 2016 in the coming year. Um, so actually that's all, yeah, that's all I need to say about that right now. <laughs> Uh, just listen, just stay tuned and you'll hear more about the Agora Podcast Network. And there's some great shows there like the History of the Papacy uh, podcast, American Biography, Ten American Presidents, uh, History of England, and and others. I don't want to leave anybody out, but there's, you know, it's a growing uh, network. Really good shows there. And okay, so anyways, let's get to it. So enough of that. Today we'll talk about an interesting character. He is himself an alchemist, um, but also a scholar. And he's interesting because he's a golden-aged alchemist, so he's right there at the end of the 16th century, beginning of the 17th century, and same time as, you know, Rudolf II, Queen Elizabeth, uh, John D., Edward Kelly, uh, all those characters. And he's a guy that defends Aristotle and Galen, so um, in this, especially in the golden age of alchemy, we have, like, Paracelsus, who kind of um, shunned those guys, and a lot of people in Paracelsus's camp. And then there was a lot of people that didn't like Paracelsus for different reasons. So this guy defended Aristotle and Galen, dismisses Paracelsus, sort of. 
Um, but he did also like some of his views because we're about to find out that, um, you know, Paracelsus wrote a lot about medicine. And so there's some interesting points there. He was a staunch believer in alchemy, but none of the Renaissance tradition. He opposed Kabbalah, which we've done a show on, Hermeticism, we've done a show on. The, the whole ma macrocosm affects the microcosm. To, you know, the astrology part of alchemy, he, he hated all that. So just a really interesting guy who seemed to agree with some modern thinkers, but for totally different reasons, and was also a step away from the traditional alchemy. So yeah, today we'll tell you about the life and works of Andreas Libavios. Andreas was born Libau, not Libavius, as the Latinized version of it would be, in 1555 in Halle. Uh, he died in 1616 in Coburg. He's known as a doctor, a philosopher, and of course an alchemist. And just because of the time he lived in, we'll actually add a few more points to his life. Yeah, because, um, so Libavius is a great example of a golden age of alchemy alchemist. And uh, I checked all my books on him, and he's just kind of mentioned in passing. So if, if the author is making a point of these and these alchemists were pro this or anti this or whatever, um, then they would list Libavius, but... The authors kind of, yeah, they state that he echoes some of the arguments for alchemy of the 14th and 15th centuries, but doesn't bring a whole lot of original arguments to the table. Um, but regardless of that, like, we'll see he did write a lot on the subject, and most of those works would be published exactly during the Golden Age of Alchemy. Uh, he, did, he did get his hands dirty himself in the lab and contributed to actual chemistry, not just alchemy. So um, he's definitely, he definitely earned a spot on the show. But what's also cool is because he was right at the beginning of, or really in the middle of the Golden Age of Alchemy, um, even though he didn't argue a lot of original points himself, he did end up influencing many that came after him, including the Golden Age of Alchemy. And um, so he's, he's sometimes counted also as one of the founding fathers of modern chemistry because his original work had nothing to do he didn't he didn't create the philosopher's stone he argued for it but he did do some other um you know just chemical processes and and wrote them down documented them so um there's some there's some interesting uh stuff there one more note here is that he went from he studied in the gymnasium in halle uh, where he was born like you mentioned and he went to the university in wittenberg and there's, I, I know a guy that happened to have lived in Halle and then moved to Wittenberg. So that's... I think we uh, know somebody. Yeah, we, we? we know a guy. Yeah. <laughs> and and so Wittenberg is the Luther city. That's that's Martin Luther's. Um, that's where he nailed his thesis to the wall. So if you just totally an aside, you guys know, you, you know that I also do the History of Germany podcast. So if you want to hear more about um, Wittenberg and someone that actually works in the Luther house... Um, uh, he's the guy, he's also the mastermind behind the secret cabinet. He does the original in German. So there's all, yeah, so anyways, Wittenberg. Um, anyways, and then Andreas um, Lebavios studied in Jena. So I don't even know why I brought all that stuff up. Okay. Well, we want to say that he was a very learned man. And yeah. uh, his, his aspect of going into... Uh, the, uh, not just the al alchemical aspect, but the chemistry that we know today with the scientific sort of uh, uh, measurements and metrics was also part of his, his sphere of influence and also what his sphere of study. So I think it is important to kind of list some of these things as a, almost a CV, if you will, of, of his background. You're, you're being very generous. I was just going to go with it's a shameless plug, but <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever works. 
and as we say, Travis, you know, he he just he he dabbled in a lot of other things. He studied in history, philosophy. He also attended lectures on medicine. Uh, tr anything he get his hands on. And mm -hmm. after his masters, he became a teacher. So starting in 1581 in Limnau, and since eight, 1586 in Coburg, uh, he started his teaching profession. Uh, Libavius decided to go back to school after two years in Coburg, this time to Basel and to become a doctor of medicine. In the same year, he went back to Jena to start holding lectures about history and poetry. In addition, he led disputations in medicine. So I would say that he would, not only was a student during this time, but also as a lecturer, he was pretty well known for yeah. being able to, to you know, uh, lecture from the pulpit and, and, and give a lot of information uh, about his, his knowledge set. And I think that when you, you can say that you give more about humanities, like poetry and history, uh, and to also match that with your chemistry and science knowledge, I'm sure that he was a pretty well-respected well person on the, on the staff there. Yeah, there's actually uh, not too many alchemists we see had a focus in history. Like some, I think, kind of studied it on the side. But this was, yeah, I mean, it is it is kind of interesting that, that this plays a role. Because um, just like the authors of the books and how my bookshelf noted, he was definitely learned. He definitely echoed a lot of the, old, the older um, arguments. But he wasn't, you know, too... I would say too innovative in, in at least regarding the philosopher's stone and transmutation. That's because he did argue that it was all possible staunchly. He, you know, he defended alchemy and all that, um, but it wasn't really creative or innovative in his arguments, I'd say. But yeah, like, yeah, even that, that he studied history is interesting. Okay. The fact that he studied medicine gets really important here because um, he moves to Rotenburg, which uh, Rotenburg, Rotenburg, R-O-T-H-E-N, Berg, <laughs> um, is a really famous kind of German town because it's famous for that it's, it's just a medieval village, medieval city. And to this day, it still has the city walls around it. And they still have like city ordinances that even if you build a new house, you have to use the, you know, those traditional like red, orange, shingles I'm sure you usually see that in italy but uh, i can imagine that would be yeah something very stunning to see in germany yeah so rotenberg yeah so rotenberg is an example many many cities have ordinances like this you know uh, uh, but rotenberg is very strict about even if it's a new building it has to conform to the medieval uh you know look and feel to some degree there's there's glass and steel don't get me wrong um but but yes yeah, so looking at it from above it definitely it's just all red those red orange roof roof tiles and nothing else and it just it's it's amazing. So anyways, Rotenburg op der Taube, that's where he moved to. And he became a school inspector. And in Rotenburg is perhaps his biggest career peak as a doctor. He ends up becoming the physician of Rotenburg. I don't know, you know, like basically the city physician, which um, seems to me more like a... a ceremonial kind of, role, possibly? Like a desk, a... a desk job, like very okay. administrative. But but it, I'm not sure. Or maybe he's like a Dr. House where he gets all the tough cases. That's that's what I'm going to go with that. You know what? Well, yeah. he, let's, let's he's Dr. House. For a <laughs> if, if, <laughs> a grumpy Dr. House. Medieval Dr. House. There's uh, one I, case I at a think, time. <laughs> I, I would think at this situation, though, in, in medical history in Europe, that to be a doctor was just a little bit above being just a, a blood letter to a certain extent to, to most medieval people. So, um, you know, yes. it, it sounds like here, here's a guy that's got, you know, he's a man of letters and, uh, you know, probably very well respected in circles. But, you know, I'm sure it was somewhat of an uphill climb to get the respect that he needs to be a medical doctor during the 
time of medicine in Western Europe yeah. that was, and well, he, when they say medieval, really medieval, you know? Well, he also because he goes a lot, uh, he goes against of a lot of what Paracelsus says. Um, he, he Well, he has a lot of supporters in that, but he also makes, uh, you know, a few enemies or people that disagree with him. And um, it's also during this time. And then, uh, so just a couple, he only lasts as a, so the, I say this is the peak of his doctorate career because in 1606, uh, Count um, Johann Kazimir give, makes him the offer to be, to lead, basically be the, the school principal of a newly founded gymnasium, which is like a German high school. And called the Casimiranium after Duke uh, Casimir, Duke Count, whatever Hatzok is in English. Anyway, so he comes back to Coburg, which and he worked there until uh, his death in 1616. So from from 1607, and so he was basically director and professor primarius uh, was his title. The, the the it's funny you mentioned kind of not much more than a blood letter because. Um, yeah, so I mean, he's he's kind of up to this point. He's your average German doctor alchemist that we've we've talked about a dozen times. Um, but what makes him special is that he wrote twenty five books in that in those forty years between fifteen ninety one and sixteen sixteen. And like you mentioned, like so he wrote on logic, theology, physics, uh, medicine, chemistry, pharmacy, uh, poetry. Oh, we haven't mentioned pharmacy yet. That's another interesting point. And he tied theology to all of these. So he was basically a straight-up Lutheran. Um, and as such, many of his works were not without controversy. When was the last time we did not speak about someone that uh, was an alchemist who wasn't controversial in his time? Yeah. Of course that happens, right? Um, Livius was straight-up a Lutheran. All right? That meant some serious business to the day. And he criticized the Catholic Church under the name Basilius de Varna, which was an, an anagram for Andreas Labavius. Yeah. It's so a little of, bit of a, a little bit of a, you know, a trick a trickeration, if you will. Yeah, it's like some Dan Brown <laughs> stuff, like, you know. Yeah, I would, I would, yeah, I would say But also, that, so. is that really, so that really works? I mean, uh, you know, with, with pop culture the way it is now, with, I have read like, I don't know, a half dozen Dan Brown books. That's the first thing I would think of is like, oh, here's this Basilios. Wait, is that an anagram for something? Aha. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's Tom, it's Tom Riddle, man. Exa it's, it's yeah, exactly. Voldemort. Yeah, Harry Potter had the same, <laughs> used the same thing. But all right. Okay. Uh, okay I guess back then nerd, it was all new. That was a nerd Look. test. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Busted. <laughs> okay. Anyway, this can also be seen in some of the non-theological works, particularly in some of the works produced during his involvement with the conflict between Paracelsus and anti-Paracelsists, Galenists, and Herbeticists. Yeah. Um, so he liked Paracelsus. Because he was a doctor, he liked um, Paracelsus's take on pharmacy. And because um, Libavius himself then also, in in the famous book, we'll, we'll get to all of this, but um, so the, the whole pharmacy aspect and his chemistry aspect, he used chemistry to heal which um, for Paracelsus was direct revolutionary. Uh, for people that after him, that basically made them Paracelsists. So in that regard, Libavius fell in line. So he wasn't anti-Paracelsus for everything. But we'll see when we go over some of his, his works that, yeah, he didn't, he didn't like all of that. He hated the, the, the supernatural aspect of, of Paracelsus. Um, but yeah, so uh, to get to the, the, the chemistry part... In fact, he did write one of the very first medical texts in German. Before, a couple of years before his death, in 1610, he even wrote one of the very first uh, medical texts, or like German medical texts, 
the which I think was still in in no, it's in German. Yeah, okay. Which is um which I guess has a lot of Latin in it, but it's it's still German, I guess it counts because the title is Tractatus Medicus Physicus, which is clearly Latin, not German. But und Historia des fürtrefflichen kasmischen Savabrunnen und Liebenstein nicht fern von that's the title of a book. Okay, <laughs> very impressive. Actually, I'm impressed yeah. you even got through that. So wow. Okay. So so, um, <laughs> but it is in German. Yeah. The the sentence is German. There's a lot of Latin in there. Um, so he's he is known for for being one of the first kind of uh, German medical authors. Period. So cool. But we haven't even gotten to alchemy yet. So let's get to the good part. Um, he you know he he also wrote against. Jesuits in his works. Later, he wrote against Calvinists. You mentioned that he was a staunch Lutherist, so I just kind of wanted so, to point so that make, out. Making a lot of friends. Making a lot yeah. of friends. Yeah, so Rome, the, the Lutheran right? thing Fantastic. mattered, yes. Um, but really, the, the really cool thing um, that we care about for this show is that maybe his most, pub, his most known work is a 1597 publication titled simply Alchemia. Great. And Travis, you know, that is exactly right. We talked about him doing a, uh, you know, a chemi- uh, book on Kimmy. History of textbooks and trying to do his teaching issues. The Alchemia was extremely important to the sense that it uh, it was probably the most famous work that he had done. It describes the possibility of transmutation. It's been called the first systematic book of chemistry. So you can see the foundations being built right here in science. For instance, he showed how to create copper salt solutions using bronze and ammoniac, uh, which uh, is you know. Oh yeah, to... he wrote it. He wrote it as Salmayak. Salmayak Geist, like the spirit of ammoniac, but it's not even yeah, it's not even a modern German word. So I had to I had to look it up. It's kind of interesting. And we but, show basically yeah. this will show you how to verify your results. Um, it should start to turn a dark blue when mixed in. So that's an important again, part. Yeah, because yeah, you're actually yeah, you're, you're seeing something change. Uh huh. Because now by writing that down and showing how to test your results. Um, you're, that's an important process for the whole method of science, you know, like the, the rep- reproducibility and being able to replicate other people's results. So, he, you know, he's always like, all right, if you've gotten this far in the step, um, then it should all turn blue, you know, and it, okay, and now keep going. So it, it's, that, that, that is pre- kind of cool. It's, it's kind of revolutionary in a, in a um, even though he's a staunch supporter of alchemists, he is um, getting his hands dirty and kind of starting to to lead us along the road of modern science. Well, let um, me ask you this, Travis, because this seems to be uh, one of the things that I think we talked about in previous shows with other alchemists that were somewhat related or um, connected to the church, either Catholic church or Protestant sort of background. They would, in, in order to kind of keep their funding coming through and not be you know, persecuted, they would have to, you know, in kind of inter weave the religious aspects of their findings. Did he do that? Was there a situation where he said, if you have enough faith, it will turn blue? Or was it just pure science for him? Okay. Um, yeah, he definitely he definitely um, added theological aspects to all of his theories. Okay. Um, I don't know exact. I don't have a lot of details. I do know that, so like um, Kepler, okay? Kepler believed in a heliocentric model because he said God should be in the middle and the sun, Earth, should be rotating around God. Um, and Earth would be like Jesus and the moon is the Holy Spirit. I mean, you know, he's right. so he had the Trinity, you know, so everything he did, um, even when he came up with the, you know, the ratio of the planets, how far apart they are, there's a ratio there. Kepler discovered it. 
Um, that was also, that's, you know, he, he called it like the divine ratio or the divine, everything was, you know, part of God's pattern. Labavius was one of these. So he was in, this is before the 30 years war. So your point about kind of being careful about the church still definitely holds. That's why he wrote anonymously with an, with an, uh, under a different name, but absolutely. Um, yes, he did tie this all in. And that, that also made him controversial, you know, to, to other people, maybe even Catholics saying, you know, why, why are you bringing this into it or whatever? But he also spoke out against, um, well, okay, wait, I don't want to skip ahead too much. Cause there's a, yeah, there's another point okay. I want to bring up around that. So that's, yeah, but good. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. W- one more example of his, uh, being a modern chemist, you know, being one of the founding fathers of chemistry is that in 1516, he described the discovery um, and and the process, you know, so you could dis- discover uh, tin chloride, which means, so he wrote this down, and tin chloride is also sometimes known as, I guess, in the olden days, uh, spiritus fumans libavii, like after libavius, but he didn't actually discover the process himself. It was, again, he, he echoed an earlier sort of chemist, in this case, a Franciscan monk named Ulmanos, um, who had already described it in 1419. So, you know, in the 15, you know, 200 years, almost 200 years uh, before. So, yeah, again, but again, he is known for this. So he does get this reputation, even though he's not that innovative or original. And the, this Paracelsus, so we've done an episode on Paracelsus, and we've mentioned him in other episodes many, many times. Um, so yeah, no, I'm sorry. You're not going to get another introduction to who he is or what he kind of stood for. Go back and listen to it. (laughs) Yeah. We've talked about him so much now. Um, but there is basically, I mean, he was so influential that we're now basically in the age of Paracelsian alchemy. That's the golden age of alchemy is basically Paracelsian alchemy. And if you didn't like that, then you were back to the Lillian alchemy, you know, the earlier um, big, big names in alchemy. Um, But so Paracelsus is one of the big names that actually gets a branch of alchemy attached to him. And so all alchemists after Paracelsus either fall into the pro or anti Paracelsus debate. Now, with Labavius, it's not that simple because, I mean, he's he's a clever guy. He's got some interesting idea. So basically, yeah, so bre- break it down for us, Pete. What's the... Uh, we, we need what, to be some... What's his take on clarifi- this? Yeah, we have to have some clarification because we said he's par- he, he's supporting uh, Paracelsus, he's, he's anti-Paracelsus. Well, let's kind of get the kind of viewpoint of Labavius has really supported Paracelsus through his medical sort of endeavors but not without the but without the astro- astrological or spiritual side of it so if you can kind of see that he pick, he did some cherry picking here about what he sort of supported and what he didn't support Lavavius did didn't like that Paracelsus just ignored the ancients instead of the testing of their hypothesis he didn't like his use of magical words and of symbols in, nat- in natural philosophy also so he did not like he did not believe in astrology or that the aspect of medicine and, al- and alchemy would revolve around that. Despite this, he did not entirely reject all of Paracelsian methods. Yeah, and okay, so best to just I'm I'm going to quote um, Francis Yates here in the Rosicrucian Enlightenment. Um, Yates writes uh, Andreas. Andreas Libavius was one of those chemists, with a Y, who was influenced up to a point by the new teachings of Paracelsus and that he accepted the use of the new chemical remedies in medicine advocated by Paracelsus whilst adhering theoretically to the traditional Aristotelian and Galenist teachings rejecting Paracelsist mysticism. Aristotle and Galen appear 
honorably placed on the title page of Lebavios's main work, The Alchemia, published at Frankfurt. We mentioned the book. Uh, Lebavios criticized the Rosicrucian Fama and Confessio in several works. Basing himself on the texts of the two manifestos, Lebavios raises serious objections to them on scientific, political, and religious grounds. Lebavius is strongly against theories of macro-micro-cosmic harmony, against Magia and Kabbalah, against Hermes Trismegistus, from whose supported writings he makes many quotations, against Agrippa and Trithemius, and Trithemius, Trithemius. In short, he is against the Renaissance tradition. Okay, and now I, I couldn't have really said that better myself, so I just quoted uh, Yates there, but... Um, we did a, did we do a show on the Renaissance itself? Like, uh, we definitely brought up a lot of alchemists that... Um, you know, we did, but I, I think, Travis, we, we, we should actually do something in the near future to kind of give more of a synopsis of the Renaissance and alchemy to get oh, people a little bit more back on track. I think we're yes, due for that. I remember, I, I remember we, it was one, a very recent episode when I talked about alchemy and the occult revival, okay? And this is an interesting point in, in the Renaissance, too. So in the Renaissance and in the 19th century, uh, those two times in history, people, uh, even academics, and just just it was just it was just popular to really get into magic and the supernatural in all kinds of ways. So even if you were religious, now you were um, you know superstitions were loved and you know magic rituals and that kind of thing. Um, it was just the time for that. So. Uh, Lebavius would have none of it. Lebavius liked... Now, the Renaissance also, of course, brought in, you know, literature, poetry, architecture, art, um, mathematics, um, you know, huge strides in just all kinds of things. And that Lebavius liked. In fact, Lebavius was a product of, you know, a century later of, um, you know, medicine and many ideas in philosophy and even history. You know, uh, Renaissance, they were back into history. Uh, in the Middle Ages, history was, it was a very odd thing with inexact dates and, you know, a lot of strange uh, exaggerations. Um, sure. You know, I, I, I kind of so, get the feeling yeah. if you were to kind of put Lebavius... Was more more grounded, it, Travis. I, I think I, I feel him to be That's, more grounded. Yeah, and, good and way would, to put it. Take yeah. What, yeah, and uh, he would look at probably at Paracelsus as a as a dirty hippie. You know, he's saying, "Hey, wait a minute, I'm not into this magic sort so, of you know shell game stuff. Paracelsus, I want the serious business." Yeah, um, Paracelsus. Like the one thing that is telling <laughs> about Paracelsus that is just his name. You know, his original name was like something, something bombastic von Hohenheim, you know, like Larry. crazy. <laughs> was yeah, it Larry? <laughs> uh, no, it was like something funny. It was like Agrippa. It was something funny, too. Yeah, Larry. Larry's in there, probably. Um, <laughs> Steve uh, von Hohenheim. And um, the thing is that even para, Paracelsus means greater than Celsius, greater than Celsius. And so, oh, so you know, a little he bit had, of ego. Yeah, ego. Dude, his name, bombast is in his name. Bombast is in his name. Yeah, like seriously. And and um, the guy, yeah, so he, but, um, so he, he, because he thought so much of himself, he definitely trusted his own perception. And so he dismissed Aristotle and Galen by saying, hey, I got my hands dirty. I was in the lab. I was, uh, you know, suturing soldiers' wounds or whatever, or at least hacking off limbs. And... Um, you know, I don't, I didn't see what, what Galen saw. I didn't see what Aristotle saw. So he, he discounted some of those and Galen was actually kind of like that too, to some degree, but he, he, um, discounted all of those theories and just started over. He just started over medicine from scratch and it was all personal experience. He didn't quite start it from scratch, but you know what I mean? Like his, his, he re, he rewrote anatomy. He rewrote all kinds of things. And 
So yeah, like he wasn't just a hippie, but yeah, he did in when he's being very objective and he's looking at empirical evidence, he still uses magical symbols and words and he still, you know, relates to astrology in these things. So he's definitely, even though Paracelsus was a total game changer, you could still argue he had, you know, one foot in two worlds. Definitely, you know, um, yeah, but Lavavius didn't like that. He, he was just science. Well, you know, that makes it even more, to me, um, uh, exceptional to the story that uh, Lavavius had accepted the Paracelsian principle of using occult properties to explain uh, phenomena with no apparent cause, but yeah. rejected the conclusion that a thing that processing these properties must have had an a astral connection, you know, so to speak. So, you know, like like he didn't believe in astrology or the her hermetic belief that the, my, the uh, microcosm uh, affects uh, the macrocosm, as you talked about, Travis, right. and vice versa. But Lubavius was also not a fan of the uh, as above, so below mentality. So, yeah, that yeah, you know, yep, yep. Yeah, it goes back and forth a little bit. You know, it, it is an issue of cherry picking, I think, to kind of what, what settles him the best. Uh, yeah, and another uh, cool thing about him is I love reading about alchemical frauds, like alchemists that were just, you know, um, creating fake gold and that kind of thing and pretend, selling it as the real deal. You mean like John so, D? Like, well, especially his sidekick, Edward Kelly. Edward Kelly oh, yeah, was yeah. like, oh, more, man. More, okay, more Edward Kelly. Yeah, he was more yeah. of a charlatan. I think, yeah, yeah, John D <laughs> might have been taken in by the charlatan. Uh, hard to say. I think the, yeah. the jury's out. But, um, um, yeah, also like Jill DeRay hired a alchemist to try to you know create the philosopher's stone he got ripped off several times so that we have these i have a couple of uh, more examples written down so i think i'll do a show just on frauds and how uh, alchemists could would create fake gold and that kind of thing um and, it, and just you know talk about a bunch of names that i've read about but they weren't alchemists they were charlatans so i don't really talk about them on the show but now i have a pretty long list so now um Lebavius wrote against these people, and in one one case I came across, so I'm actually going to look this guy up uh, in better detail. There's a there's a guy called um, Georgios Amvalt, like George at the Forest, is what his English name would be. And okay, and he's one example of many people that Andreas Lebavius wrote against, which were uh, alchemists specifically that created alchemical cure alls, and these cure alls, especially alchemical ones are generally, you know, contain sulfur and mercury and stuff that you don't want, that doesn't cure anything. If anything, it'll give you mercury poisoning and, and a whole lot worse. So you're um, seeing snake oil. You were selling yeah, snake oil. Yeah, and you know, the <laughs> ammonia yeah. in the process and, oh, it's just bad. It's just pure poison. And so he, he really raved, he really raged against all of these, the, this, this fraudulent aspect. Now, the cool thing, is, or the interesting thing is that he actually believed in a, what's called a panacea, a, a cure-all, okay? He actually believed that it is possible, but he was suspicious because the alchemists always kept their recipes secret. So he's like, hey, if it's, you know, if you have one, then show me the recipe. You know, let me, let me replicate your results and let's talk. Let's see what you have, okay? Which is a kind of modern, that's a very modern principle. Very anti-esoteric. And that's cool. I, I like that. So um, because every time I get an anti-esoteric alchemist, then I can read their their books in plain English or German in some cases. And, uh, you know, they'll just tell you what they did. Um, so, yeah, that that's 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 really cool. He hated um, 
he also believed that if you could create a panacea, you would be bound, just just duty bound, to teach the process to as many other people as possible so that it could benefit mankind as a whole. Okay? And this is like, you know, like the same as Alexander Fleming, who refused to patent the, you know, the, um, uh, he refused to patent how he got penicillin. He just thought, well, penicillin, it's a mold. You should, you know, everybody should have it. Um, well, so and, yeah. and Trav, that, 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 that's really kind of a, a, a really neat idea in the sense of this time, because if you're an alchemist, you pretty much kept your secrets close to the vest so exactly. that you can parlay that into being ingratiated into royal courts and not yes. having other people replicate what your hard work. That's your so, intellectual you know, that's property. A very, yeah, yeah it's, they didn't have it's a very uh, humanitarian way of looking at things. Yeah. Yeah, but, but I mean, the reason everything was so esoteric, uh, I know on, on, yeah, the alchemist reasoning was, um, you know, the, the, the wisdom is dangerous. I've even come across that now. I came across that on Reddit the other day. Oh, dude. Anyways, uh, <laughs> that uh, the knowledge is not for everybody because it's dangerous knowledge, you know, or only, only, um, you can only, it'll only be useful to you if you have God's will anyways. Gnostics. Um, so yeah, all, Gnostic thought, all right? of that thought. <laughs> Uh, all of that stuff, those ideas. So yeah, he didn't like that. But on the other hand, there weren't like patents or copyright protection or any of that stuff in that day, in those days. So if you did have a secret recipe for a medicine, then you know, so if you published it, then you that you lost your. Um, who was it? Um, Johann Konrad Dibble. He was he's an he's a case of that. He invented what was it? Um, not Prussian blue, but he invented one of the dyes, a red one, I think. And, but then of course, you know, his son benefited from it. Other people set up factories and created these dyes, but he died pretty broke, you know? So yeah, yeah, there's no, yeah, you had to kind of, I, I get, I get it, I guess back then. If I knew something special, I might be careful who I told it to, um, if I was going to make money from it, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. So back to this George on the forest, <laughs> I want to, so this guy, um, he, George's cure-all is basically just sulfur and mercury, and we know this because Andreas Lebavius apparently bought some of his cure-all, you know, reverse-engineered it, he tore him apart, he slandered him. He wrote four volumes on this one guy, on this one other alchemist. So... In every other show where we've talked about alchemists, we've come across like name bashing, where especially Paracelsus, he Paracelsus talks smack about every other alchemist that he basically knew. Um, but this is hardcore. Imagine writing four books about somebody just to talk smack about him and shut him down, call him a, a lot of anger there. That is a wow, lot of anger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like really, you know, he finished book three and he's like, you know what, a trilogy just isn't enough. George, George is at it again. I, get me the pen. I got a book. Sounds four. like the Game of Thrones books. What the, yeah, no, that's, I mean, yeah, it's insane. It's a, George R. R. Martin, could you please finish the fifth book so we can get moving? You know, so I mean, yeah, it's I it, it, when I think the deal was he probably felt that he was doing a community service to really um, take George George of the uh, of the woods to task because he represented everything that. That he hated, which was, yeah. you know, charlatanism, uh, doing a disservice and poisoning people, not using real science, yeah, things like that. Exactly. Because he liked um, to be able to replicate results and reproduce results. Um, yeah. Just being able to say, you know, using occult reasoning, he did he did use occult reasoning for things that he couldn't explain. So you, you said that that is that is an important point. So I don't want to oversimplify. Um 
But yeah, he didn't like the excuse. If you could explain it any other way, if you could explain, if you could have a natural explanation for anything, he preferred that. And if you did have a natural explanation, he didn't like uh, supernatural, even words or symbols or occult symbols, um, which Paracelsus used even when describing natural phenomena. So yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Um, it's also no surprise that as an alchemist and a doctor and as a scholar of Paracelsus, no matter what his thoughts about him were, it's no surprise that he also wrote on pharmacology and had sort of chemistry, you know, chemical um, medicine, really. It's medicine. Uh, you know, chemical means uh, chemical treatments to then give a patient. And Paracelsus was really the person that grown, that, that broke ground on that. Um, before Paracelsus, it really was the four humors, you know, that if you had too much bile, then you, you do it. Basically every cure was, well, let's drain some blood. First of all, let's drain some blood and then we'll see what else. And that, that was still a fact in Lababios' time. Um, but we do see medicine. We see pharmacies, uh, pharmacology and using chemicals, artificial chemicals, you know, man-made chemicals to treat patients. So that's interesting. You know, he also spoke out against Rosicrucians, but I don't really have a lot of details on that during our research. But since we did an episode on them, um, and they are especially important to the German alchemists at this time, I think we need to keep track of these things very well. That, Yeah, that's right, Pete. I basically, I just note in my, if I do, if I read something like, oh, he, he hated Rosicrucians, or he was a Rosicrucian influence, or, you know, I just kind of keep track of that, same as I keep track of anti-Aristotle, or pro-Aristotle, anti-Galen, pro-Galen, anti-Paracelsus, or pro-Paracelsus. Um, now I kind of keep track of Rosicrucians, too. But anyways, yeah, so <laughs> another another interesting note, if you want to, if, if you happen to be in Germany, this is almost for history of Germany, but um, if you're in Rotenburg, that beautiful village I mentioned, Rotenburg op der Taube, you can go see a replica of his lab in the Historiengewölbe. I made a note of that. I'm also quick collecting a list of where you can see replicas of alchemy, of alchemy labs or even restored alchemy labs, like the case in Prague. So um, I'll well, you probably... Know, I need, I need a list of that on my website, I feel. You know, just like, I, even, if you want to go see an Alchemist Lab, go here. Not even a list. I think that's your next book idea to put on Amazon. Because I think... Oh, there you go. I think people oh, that want to come idea. to Europe, that just like you did, when you first came to Prague, you had this fascination with alchemy. I think there's so many people out there that want to take a trip. And by the way, they say, you know what, if I had this book in my Kindle or if I had this book in, in my hand, I could come around and say, I want to see all the things in Prague. I want to see all the things in, in, in Rottenburg. I want to see all the things that's that relate idea, to, to alchemy all over the place. I'm not going to edit great. this out. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to let no, your genius shine through. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, because I, I really do think that there's there's so many fans of our show that that wants to see these things oh. in person. And just in Prague, there's like four, at least four locations of museums here, not to mention all the things that were connected with alchemy in Prague that uh, could fill up a book in itself. But I mean, you could talk about places in Germany, um, you know, in, in the Netherlands, I mean, just all over the place that have these connections to alchemical thought. Yeah, there's there's one more thing I, I need to mention here, and that is um, because it's been a while since I talked to you guys, um, but <laughs> t-shirts, somebody <laughs> bought, somebody bought a history of alchemy t-shirts are the, the biggest ones that sold. Um so thank you very much for that. Books awesome. reminded me of that. Yeah, because there is a, there is the alchemy booklet out there. 
if I if I sell enough of those, they're like a dollar a piece to help the show. If I sell enough that uh, enough of those, and and uh, I did not expect the T-shirts to be this wildly successful. So thank you very much for whoever's running around town in a History of Alchemy podcast T-shirt. That is so cool. Uh, if you send me a picture, I'll I'll put it on the Facebook page. Like that's I that I can't believe you guys actually bought uh, History of Alchemy T-shirts. Um, but somebody's out there buying them like crazy, and thank you so much for that. And I'll tell you what, if we sell enough, eventually I'll, I'll, I promise you, I'll get rid of ads. Um, does that sound fair? Is that, <laughs> I think that's fair. That... Yeah, the, the ad, the ad thing is, you know, it's something to get used to, but like you said, Travis, the, one the of the deals also, that yeah, it should be go. pointed out. They're not, yeah. they're not permanent. Not permanent. Uh, they, we run campaigns and then we drop them again. So it's not like we get paid once and then the ads are there forever. No, no, no. Like when, the, so you might not, you might not even know what I'm talking about because if you hear this in a couple months from now, the ads won't be there. So, um, so yeah, we, yeah, we, that's probably a good, a good thing to point out. Um, but otherwise, yeah, just a huge thank you for, for everybody that actually bought the t-shirts. I, I kind of made them for myself. I thought it was a cool idea. And then I, um, yeah, I posted them out there and mentioned them as a joke really, but that's awesome. You guys, that's awesome. That, that bought me, um, I've already made enough money to buy a good four or five books. So very cool. That helps out a lot. Um, and it was totally surprising. So, um, Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was cool and it was mostly history of alchemy guys so awesome um otherwise stay tuned very very shortly we'll have a 2015 year in review 2016 kind of what's up and coming i know it's been a while since i've posted my last episode for history of alchemy i hate even apologizing for that kind of thing but i have a really good excuse in this case i got i got one very hard to find book um that took me, literally, I've been looking for it for years. I heard it, it's been referenced in so many of my other books, and I finally got it. It's been out of print for at least 70, 80 years. Um, well, at least 60, 70 years. And um, I've been trying to get through other huge tomes. I got another book that was difficult to find called The Jewish Alchemists. And that is a huge, that is a tome. And there, I'm finding so much good stuff in there. So I kind of want to finish that whole book before I start breaking it up into episodes and start talking about things. Um, so I've been actually trying to finish a bunch of books to kind of, to give you a more coherent picture for the next few episodes, which means they don't come out as regularly, but when they do come out, I hope they're higher quality. And um, I definitely have a lot more to offer because right now I'm really looking for stuff to fill the gaps of what's not online. You know, if I do research for a show and I can't find something online, then I put it online. That's that's what we do. That's that's one of the goals of this show is, um, yeah, making things available for you guys. So if you, if you run out of these shows, hey, there's History of Germany. I've been busy there. There's a Bohemican and there is a Secret Cabinet. Otherwise, I would like to thank you very much for listening on, on uh, Pete's behalf and my own. And uh, stay tuned and, and see you soon. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.